Welcome to the Healing School Podcast. This is a place where you can get built up in the Word of God concerning healing. This is a place of truth and bold faith in the Word of God. We encourage you to get your Bible and some notepaper. Write down what the Lord is speaking to you. This is a place for both receiving and ministering healing. The stronger your faith gets in this area, the more effective you will be for the kingdom of our God. Hold fast to the scriptures. The truth of the scripture never changes and it never gets old. These are episodes you can feed on time and time again. Please share our podcasts with other people. Most always, someone either needs healing or knows someone who does. God bless you and heal you as you hear his word. It's always God's will to heal every single person, every single time. Whether you or they experience it or not, that doesn't change God's will. Have you ever had a friend or a loved one in your life where you want the best for them, but they won't have it? Whether it's through their own choices or through their ignorance or through their rebelliousness or whatever reason it is, they're choosing something different than the best for them. Has that ever happened to you? But they can't look at you and say, it's not your will that I'm stable. That's what I've been trying to do for you your whole life, right? Like kids. Do you have kids? Especially true with kids, but it can be true with a spouse. It can be true with a friend. It can be true with anybody. You know, you see a train coming and it's about to hit them and you, you give them the accurate, wonderful information. Look, there's a freight train coming. And the only thing you have to do to avoid being hit by this freight train is get off the tracks. And yet they choose to stay on the tracks and then they get hit by the freight train and they look up at you and they say, I can't believe you wanted me to fail. You wanted me to get hit by the train. What? That is ridiculous. And yet we do that with God all the time. And yet God has provided Jesus Christ. He's provided his word. He's provided the Holy Spirit, the miracle worker that has been working miracles from before the foundation of the world is with us and in us and on us. And here we are saying, I wonder if it's God's will to heal me. Doesn't that kind of sound ridiculous? So we want to we want to make sure that you understand it's always God's will to heal every single person every single time. We don't compromise God's will. We can't. We're not God. He is the only one that can change his mind concerning healing your physical body and the Bible says he'll never change his mind. There's no shadow of turning with him. So one day he's not going to get up off the throne and say, you know, they're really an idiot. I changed my mind. They really keep on sinning and sinning. I changed my mind. I'm going to take back that healing. He's never going to do that, which is so good for us. It's so good for us because his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. And you know, it takes us a while to get there. I know I'm so sure in God's will now, but there was a time when I wasn't. There was a time when I didn't know if it was God's will to heal. I didn't know if I was worthy to receive healing. I didn't know. And I was was operating from that point, and it was rough. 
it's really rough not to trust God. I'm going to tell you it's so much easier to just lay back on the Father and say, God, I trust you in healing, in life, with children, with family, with your ministry, with your calling, with your business, with your work, with every relationship, with anything. It's so much easier to live a life of rest if you actually trust God. If you really trust God, if you say, God, I don't understand what this is, but I trust you and I trust your word. Amen? What I found in my life, and, and we'll get into the teaching in a minute maybe, or this might be the teaching, who knows? What do I know? What I found in my life is that it's not just about trusting God. It's about doing what his word says to do. Because there are many places in the word of God that are what's called an if-then statement. If, you, if you're a computer geek, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you're computer programming, you type in the word if, and then you put if something happens, and then you type in the word then, and it's the command to do something. But the if-then statement, the then only happens if the if is fulfilled. Right? The then only happens if the if is fulfilled. In, in salvation, for example, nobody likes this part, but it is an if-then statement. If you call on the name of Jesus, then you will be saved. If you accept Jesus as Lord, then you will be saved. Then you will be made righteous. If you believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and that he is the Son of God, then you can be saved. Well, what if you don't believe? Well, what if you don't believe he's the son of God? What if you don't believe he raised from the dead? What if you don't make him your Lord? Then the then statement that goes with that if is no longer valid. And that's not God's fault. We know the Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So God's will is going on. He has his will. That's his intention that's his, what he set this world up to be. And then something else is happening in the human race. Because God made us with our own will also, right? Like you and I have a choice in the matter. We can choose, no, I don't want Jesus to be my Lord. Or we can choose, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord. And whichever choice we make determines our results, God's will is still the same. It's not his will that any man should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if we choose not to believe, we will not receive that promise. It's not a blanket promise. It's not every human is saved all the time, no matter what, because of Jesus. That's not what the scriptures say. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even though some people do not believe in their heart and some people do not confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, what is God's will on the matter? That all should be saved. It's not rocket science, guys. There is a simplicity in Christ that is going to help you understand all components of the gospel. This is a key to the kingdom right here. It's an if-then. 
if you believe, if you confess, then you will be saved. If you don't believe, guess what? You won't be saved. Yeah, you can go to hell. <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny. And yet it is. <laughs> Woo. Okay. So we, we need to have that understanding because once we have that understanding that, that it is, everyone says, well, you know, salvation is unconditional. No, it's not. They say, well, if God is love and, and God heals and it's always his will to heal, then healing is unconditional. No, it's not. No, it's not. And you can ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen at all? And start, you could start trying, you can get yourself into a place where you're not reasoning well and you're blaming God and you're telling God, God, if you were real, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> if God wasn't real, you wouldn't happen. He created you, amen? Okay, so I want to... Um, I want to go back to the sacred cows, and there's a sacred cow. It's, it's in my notes, it's sacred cow number three, but we're so far out of joint. Uh, in generation, generational curses, the sacred cow number four. So you can see we're kind of going backwards, but that's okay. Uh, people think sickness or disease or destruction is judgment from God for sin. And that is a big, fat sacred cow. What is a sacred cow? It's a belief that people hold that is above reproach. Like you can... You might believe it so hard that even if the scripture says something different, you would rather slay the scripture than slay your sacred cow. Let's reason together. The word of God is the truth, right? And we want to make sure that we stay humble when we meet the word of God and that we're not coming at the word of God thinking we know everything and we're not coming at the word of God with our favorite teachers pricking against the word of God. Does it make sense? Even if your favorite teacher that you honor and you've given money to, and even if your pastor Cindy, who you love, says something wrong against the Bible, the Bible is the truth. It's unchangeable. And it never fails. It never falters. And it never ends. Amen? The word of the Lord endures forever. It doesn't matter what teacher, what saying, what song said, this or that, what your mom said, what your grandmother said. What matters is what does God say through his word? Amen? So we want to establish that too in healing school. So the sacred cow is that people think sickness, disease, or destruction is judgment from God for sin. I'm going to show you that it's not. We're going to start in Psalm 103, and then we're going to go over to Luke, but we'll go here first. Psalm chapter 103 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. 
He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Whoo! He's not dealing with us as our sins deserve. Like, you deserve punishment is what God is saying. But we're not getting that punishment, right? But just with the if-then key that I gave you earlier, is anyone brave enough to pick out the if-then in this whole passage? There's, there's at least one. Um, are you brave enough to pick out that if-then? Go ahead and take a minute and look at it. It's, it's kind of hidden in here, but I want you to use this key to unlock a scripture, if you can. If you can't, that's okay. I'll tell you. You'll learn. I'll show you. We'll get there. Go ahead, Linda. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. His mercies are not so great towards all. You can't just say, well, the mercy of the Lord endures forever, therefore I get the mercy of God. No, it says so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. If you fear him, not fear like I'm afraid of him, but as an honor him, then so great is his mercy towards you. Well, how do you honor God? How do you fear him? Reverence his word reverence the things of God. Do what the word of God says. Give him the reverence, the fear, the honor that is due to his name. Not just going up to him being like, God, I honor you, and then living however you want to live. Right? Knowing that you have a righteous and holy judge for a God, even though he's not dealing with you after the iniquity and not giving you what you deserve in your sins, we should have a holy reverence for him, for his things. Do you remember the Sunday when I said, stand with me in the presence of the Lord? Why would we stand in the presence of the Lord? It's a show of honor and respect. You, all, you know when you're in a court and the, they say, all rise, the judge is coming in? It's a sign of honor and respect. Or when you're at a wedding and the bride starts coming and everybody stands up, it's a sign of honor and respect. Stand with me in the presence. That's, that's in the presence of the Lord. That is honor and respect. When Jesus walks in, what do we do? Do we continue texting, chatting with our friend, doing our, writing our notes? What do we do when Jesus walks in? We stop everything and we pay attention to him and him alone. That's honor. That's reverence. That's fear, right? What is, is it honor? Is it fearing the Lord if I don't read his word every day? No, it's not. Is it fearing the Lord if I know to tithe and I choose not to? No. Is it fearing the Lord if I know to tithe and I excuse myself from it and make an exception? No, that's not fear. That's not fearing the Lord. 
Is it fearing the Lord if I'm being called to pray and I choose not to? No. Is it fearing the Lord if God asks me to go pray for someone and I count myself unworthy and decide not to do it? No. Those things are not fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is doing what he says when he says to do it with a happy heart and to the best of your ability. That is honoring God. Is he do that honor? Yes, he is. Absolutely, he is do that honor. But here's that if then. His mer- so great is his mercy towards them that fear him, them that reverence him, right? You got to understand that. Okay, let's go on. Luke chapter 13. We'll look here. So we know God isn't dealing with us as our sins deserve. But um, why do people think that sickness, disease, or destruction from God is for sin? Remember when um, Hurricane Katrina hit years and years ago? in louisiana and people were saying that oh it was god's judgment on louisiana for mardi gras and all the sin (laughs) do you know jesse duplantis lives in louisiana his church his church people are in that city are you kidding me like jesse duplantis church being judged for sin i doubt it i doubt it something else was going on there it wasn't God judging for sin. God doesn't deal with us after our iniquities. Okay, where did I say? Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Start in verse 1. There were at present, there were present at that season some that had told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Okay, so first of all, this is Jesus talking. Jesus is never going to mislead us. He's never going to take us down a rabbit hole. He's never going to tell us something wrong just to make us feel bad or scare us into doing right, but winking at the sin. Like, Jesus is not going to do that. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's our Lord. He's our master. And he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Whatever he's saying, he's come to bring us life and life more abundantly. Whatever he's trying to say to us, he's bringing us life. Let's go back up to verse 1. There were present at that time some people that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So what had happened here is that these, these Galileans are coming in to sacrifice unto the Lord God. Do you suppose they're sinners worse than anyone else? They're going to church. They're bringing their sacrifices. And Pilate, for whatever reason, decided 
everyone in there that's giving sacrifices, slay them all. So they're bringing their offerings to God, killing their animals, and as they're killing the animals, Pilate is killing them. They're not caught in an act of sin. Even if they were sinning, their sacrifices atone for their sin. And Pilate was killing them, and so their blood was being mixed in and mingled with the sacrifices. That's a terrible thing. You think you're going to church and honoring God, and all of a sudden you, you get killed. And they're asking Jesus about their sin because Jesus said, do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Well, yeah, they did suppose that. They had to have, or Jesus wouldn't have asked that question. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you no, but except you repent, you'll suffer the same thing. He's saying, no, they're not sinners above all else. That's not why what happened to them, but because you're judging them in that way, you better repent or you're going to suffer the same thing. Because in the same manner that you judge, you will be judged. Have you ever been frustrated with somebody for something that they're doing in your life, being disruptive, whatever they're doing, and all of a sudden you realize, like you, you say it out of your mouth, you correct somebody, you get mad at somebody, and then within a week you're doing the exact same thing? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Because by the same words you judge somebody, you will be judged. You will reap what you sow unless you repent. Remember on Sunday we said repentance is a good word. It brings us life. It brings us right back into right standing with God. I can tell you, I found that the people that are the most judgmental of other people are the people who are really not living the walk. They're not walking the walk. They're really not walking the walk. They're talking the talk, but they're not. So if you hear somebody, your brothers and sisters, and they're gossiping and talking about, well, so-and-so this and so-and-so that, you know who's walking the walk and who's not. Because if they're walking the walk, they're not going to be talking like that. Because from your own mouth is how you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged by the words of your mouth. That's why Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You know, when you get a word like this from God, I would suggest immediate repentance. If there's something going on in your life, so if we are judging other people and saying, well, they sinned and that's why they're not receiving healing and they, they're a worse sinner above all other sinners, their, their sin weighs more than my sin because I received healing and they didn't. Watch it. You better repent right then and there. Right then and there. And, and you can reverse it and go the other way and say, well, what am I doing wrong that I'm not receiving healing and they did? Wait a minute. Same thing. You're judging. 
you need to repent or you will likewise perish. Not only for the things that you're doing wrong, but for, for thinking that way about God. For taking his scripture in Psalm 103 and saying, that says God doesn't deal with us after our iniquities, and saying that he does. Well, does he or not? Is Psalm 103 true or isn't it? You need to solidify that in your heart. God is not dealing with me or you after your iniquity or after my iniquity. God is merciful to us. And if we would honor him and fear him, so great would his mercies be towards us. So great. Not just great mercies, but so great mercies. So great mercies. And when people in the Bible were looking for healing, they cried out after Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What did that mean, have mercy on me? That meant heal me. That meant heal me. So great are his mercies, his healing mercies, his kindness mercies, his revelation mercies, his knowledge mercies towards us who fear him, who actually reverence him, who reverence his things, who honor the way he set things up. Amen? So right here in the Bible, we're seeing that even though people think that sickness, disease, or destruction is judgment from God for sin, it's not. Jesus is saying it's not. But if you keep thinking that way, you're going to experience it. If you keep thinking that way, if you see a preacher and all of a sudden they get sick and you think, oh, what did they do? What secret sin was in their life? You better repent or you will likewise perish. It's a truth. You need to stop dealing with people after their sins and stop always assuming that somebody's doing wrong because they got sick or because something bad happened to them, right? You, you always have to stay always repent. Amen. They say, well, I'm already saved. I'm already righteous. Why do I need to repent? Because we're stupid. I'm including myself in that because you keep saying things that are wrong. You keep putting words out there that you can be judged by. And, you know, I found the quickest people to get healed are the ones that are quick to repent and quick to forgive. Those are the quickest ones to receive healing because so great are his mercies towards us. You know, you're, you may not be able to receive because you may have a hard heart in an area, but if you will humble yourself, God will find a way to give you that healing, even if you can't receive just by saying, the Holy Spirit quickens to life my mortal body. Boom, you're healed. Like, really, we should be healed immediately when we say that. But if you're not, and something else is going on, God will give you healing any way he can. I like to think of it like there's this big ocean above us of God's healing. And as soon as that ceiling of hard-heartedness gets a little crack in it, that water of healing is going to start flowing through. And it's going to make that crack bigger and bigger and bigger. Every time, no matter what, no matter if the crack is over here because you finally got your words right, or if the crack is over here because you finally forgave someone, or if the crack is here because you finally had faith, it doesn't matter where it is. God has given us so many ways to receive healing, and he's trying to heal us in so many different ways. If we would just yield to him, just trust in him, right? 
then we're going to receive healing. But I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 because I think this helps us with this, like what happened in why did these guys get slain and, and why do bad things happen in our life, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, not those, but the things in this chapter, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What is he? There's a whole lot in this verse, and I want to unpack all of it, but I want to ask you this question first. What is he able to keep? In this verse, what is, what is God able to keep? That which I have committed to him. What about the things you have not committed to him? He's not able to keep it. Why? Why can God not keep something that you have not committed to him? Well, yes, because he said, because he doesn't have authority in your life to overrule your authority. You have to give the things to him in order for him to keep them. And if you give them to him and keep taking them back, guess what? You're responsible for them. See, we have to understand the difference in the responsibility. What is God's responsibility and what is my responsibility? Like, we, we've got we've to understand that, right? So, what is, what is God's, or like, what is our responsibility in this verse? I'm going to tell you. The first part says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. So I know whom. Whom? Obviously God. I know God. Our responsibility is to know God. Okay? God's responsibility is to reveal himself and he has through Jesus Christ. So in order for us to fulfill our responsibility, we have to know him through Christ, through the word, through the scriptures. We have to know him. Okay? I know whom I have believed. Our second responsibility here is to believe. Who? Who do we believe? Whom? Who we know, which is God. I know whom I have believed. I have known God. I have believed God. So we have to know him. We have to believe him. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. We have to get the word in. We have to know him. We have to believe him. And it says, and I am, that's me, I am persuaded. We have to be persuaded. When you're persuaded, you're convinced. You're convinced. I know God, I believe God, and I am persuaded, I am convinced of something. And what do you have to be convinced of? That God is able to keep that which I have committed to him. I know whom I have believed, I have believed him, and I know that he is able to keep every little thing that I commit to him. Everything. But the if-then statement in here really is, what do you commit to him? Have you committed your health to God? 
he's able to keep it. Have you committed your children to God? He's able to keep them. But the moment you get in worry and fear, you're, you have taken it back. And there's two jurisdictions, well, there's more, but there's two main jurisdictions going on in the Christian's life. One of the jurisdictions is what we have committed to God. And one of the jurisdictions is what we have rule and authority over, basically our responsibility, God's responsibility. And you really have to know the difference. Because there's all kinds of Christians everywhere saying, well, God isn't healing me. And just waiting for healing to fall in their lap. But they're not reading the word of God. They're not studying. They're not in healing school. There's empty chairs. Do you know what I'm saying? Why isn't God doing what God is supposed to do? Well, you're not doing your part. You know, there's a... I'm trying not to get on a side tangent, but I think this will help you understand... Um, when you're, when you're playing a, a sport, especially, have you ever played Foursquare where you throw the ball back and forth? Have you ever played any game where you toss the ball back and forth? Okay. Who, if you don't, if you don't have the ball, whose responsibility is the ball? The other person, right? I like keeping the ball in God's court. I like keeping the ball in the other person's court because then the responsibility is on the other person. Right? You always want the responsibility on God. You never want the responsibility on you. And the be but you will have responsibility because God's going to throw the ball back to you. Here in the scripture, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. Those are all the ball in my court. That God is able to keep that which I have committed to him well, if I haven't committed anything to God, then the ball is in my court and it's going to stay in my court. But the moment I commit something to the Lord and I know him and I believe in him, I'm persuaded, then that's me throwing the ball to God. And as long as I don't go up to God and say, give me that ball back and let me worry about it, then it remains in his court. And he keeps it. And he's able to keep it. And it, it'll be kept. And then we won't have things like car accidents and untimely deaths and sicknesses that come out of nowhere because we've put all those things over on God and the ball is in God's court. But as long as we're trying to rule and reign in our own lives, not by one Jesus Christ, but without Christ, as long as we're trying to do our own thing and not, not live under his jurisdiction, we're responsible for our own lives. I could say to the degree that Jesus is Lord to you and over you is the degree that God is responsible for the results in your life. You may think, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be financially blessed. Are you tithing? You're not. What is the tithe? Not, I didn't mean to talk about money, but really what, it's a good example. So what is the tithe? It is 10% of all of your increase in income that comes in in a certain period of time. 10% financially of all of it. If you get $10, $1 is the tithe. If you get $100, $10 is the tithe. That is the tithe. That is your part. If you're not tithing, the ball is not in God's court. 
God is still pouring out blessings in other ways, but you will never experience the blessing of God continually and forevermore rebuking the devourer on your part if you will not do your part. Your part is that 10%. God's part is to rebuke the devourer for your sake. Does it make sense? Does that make sense? I mean, there's no condemnation. If you're not tithing, you can still get to heaven. You just get there quicker. It's true. Because you can rebuke the devourer, but you have to sleep sometime. And God never sleeps or never slumbers. And I know when I lay down my head down at night, and I've already tithed, and God is rebuking the devourer. And if something comes up in my life, I just stand on that word. I'm a tither, and God is rebuking the devourer, and you will not have me. You will not have my children. You will not steal from me because God is rebuking you. I don't even have to do it. I don't even have to stand there and fight and be like, Satan, I rebuke you. Why? Because God is doing it for me because I'm standing on the word, because I've known in whom I have believed, and I'm fully persuaded that because I have committed my tithe to him, he's able to keep it. He's able to keep his word. He's able to rebuke the devourer, and he does. And it's amazing, the miracles we've seen. And I, I used to think of them as passive miracles because I just thought they just happened. But the more I get to know God and the more I understand what's his part and what's my, my part, I realize that because we are doers of the word of God, and I'm uncompromisingly a doer of the word of God. If God says to do it, I'm going to do it, and that's final. It doesn't matter if I feel like it. doesn't matter if I agree with it. It just doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. If it's scriptural, I'm going to do it because I'm an obedient child of God. And I realize that I'm experiencing blessings that I didn't even understand until years later just because I'm a doer of the word of God. Because the word always works whether you understand it or not. The truth is the truth whether you get it or not. It doesn't change just because you finally understand it. But praise God. We can, we can have blessings that we have no right, I guess I could say right, to operate in just by doing the word of God. In our own self, they're so far above us but we can believe God for that. I'm going to tell you something, and I know you're not going to believe me, but that, well, you might believe me. That's okay. But unless Haley was there with me, then neither one of us would have believed each other. And, you know, we believe each other because we don't lie. One time we were standing out in front of our house, not our current one, but years ago, and it was just Haley and I. We were talking about God a little bit, and we looked up in the sky, and in the clouds... No joke, no airplanes around, no joke. Haley's name was spelled out in the clouds. And her name was spelled out just like she spells it, H-A-I-L, capital E, capital E. And I was like, do you see that? And she's like, do you see that? And I'm like looking at her and then look back. And we didn't get a picture because we didn't have our phones, didn't think about it. And it just faded away. But we were like, what? Because we're doers of the word of God. Now my child has that for the rest of her life. 
Whether anyone believes her or not, she and I were both there. We both saw it. We both were shocked and in awe and just, wow, God. And it just, there was her name. There was her name. If I actually, if I remember correctly, it was I and then a heart and then Haley. It's just so powerful to have that experience. But how would she have that experience if we weren't doers of the word of God? That is a blessing that to this day I don't understand. I don't understand. But that's okay. I don't have to understand it. I'm doing everything I can and everything I know to do to do the word of God. The Lord says, talk with your kids about God in the day when you walk, in the night when you sleep. You do those things and guess what? He shows up. He confirms his word with signs and wonders following, right? We have so many of these amazing miracles that I just, it's, it's ridiculous how much we see God. And he shows us and shows forth his, his grace and his mercy and his love and his power and his, his patience and his everything and himself. Like, it's, it's amazing. But we don't go searching out the spectacular, like, we weren't sitting outside saying, oh, one day God's going to write your name in the sky. Like, that didn't even enter, like, like, that he would, you know? I mean, when I was on my way to Uganda, I asked God if I could see a cloud-shaped, I mean, a heart-shaped cloud in the sky. And I never saw one on my trip to Uganda, but I wanted to. But I asked him, and I prayed, and I believed with all my might, and here I am flying over these amazing clouds over Egypt and didn't see a thing. But then boom this happens later and I'm just wow god you're amazing you're so good god but we have to commit these things to him that he's able to keep i committed my kids to him a long time ago he's able to keep my kids i've committed them to him and i don't pull them back and say well what can i do what can how can i no, God, you have them. They're yours. I commit them to you. I commit myself to them. God, I'm not even going to try to boss myself. I commit myself to you, God. Everything, I, and, and how do you know that you're committed to him? You're doing his word. You're doing his word. He is able. We have to be persuaded that he's able to keep that which I commit to him. But what about those things that are not committed to him? What about people who are good Christians and good people, but they're not committed to God? They're not, they're not tithing. They're not reverencing him. They're not fearing him. They're not honoring him. They're not going to church. Not, is God obligated to keep them? Not really, no. Is he able to keep their things? No. He's not obligated to. Not a bit. What about if you're not committing things to him? Did you commit your legs to him? Did you commit your body to him? If you did commit your body to him, that means doing what he's asking you to do and not doing the things that you would. If you've committed your body to him, then he's able to keep it. But if, and probably nobody here, but if you're off in sexual sin, is that committing your body to God? No. God's not responsible for that. And he's not obligated to keep you either. But if you repent 
Amen? Then you have recommitted your body to him, and you have recommitted things to him, and he's able to do what? To keep those things. We have to start to understand what is God's part, what is our part. So let's turn over to Psalm 91. I had a series that I taught a long time ago called Perfect Protection. I have no idea if it's on the internet or not, but I hope that it is. And it's very powerful. And it's all about Psalm 91. But you got to look at Psalm 91 and see that there's some if-thens in there. There's some, there's some statements like, okay. So the first verse says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So the whole first two verses are, are our responsibility. The ball's in our court right here, you guys. The first two verses, I must dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I must abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I must say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. He is my God and in whom I trust. Not in whom I kind of trust once in a while, but only when it's working. In whom I trust. Trust unconditionally God and his word, whether it's working or not. Trust him. And don't make up a doctrine and say, well, I trust God and God is, you know, God gave me this sickness. There, Don't get like that. That's stupid. That's taking the word of God out of context. That's trying to fill in some pages and trying to make a doctrine out of your experience. Don't do that. People have done that, and a lot of people are still sick today because of it. Don't, I would not want to be the one responsible for that. I do not want to have a conversation with God about how people are making up doctrines based on my experience, and neither do you. Amen? So we want to do this right, and we want to say, I'm going to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I'm going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. How do you dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Constantly heavenly-minded. Constantly living in Christ, acknowledging and knowing that you're in Christ, and not by your own will, stepping out of the covering of God. If God says, I want you to go to Africa, and you don't go to Africa when you're called to Africa, you're not under his covering. You're not. And, um, and, I, and I knew this back when the Lord called me to Africa I, was, I thought it would be 30 years difference. It was 30 days. What do I know? But my sister, I was talking to my sister who is a Ramagrad, and I said to her, I, traveling is just so far out of my comfort zone. And she said, stop. She said, here's the truth. The will of God is your comfort zone. Out of the will of God is out of your comfort zone. If you're in the will of God, you will never be out of your comfort zone. If the will of God is your comfort zone. She said, I'm going to tell you, you are safer in Africa where there are wars and people kidnapping and all kinds of crazy stuff going on if you're in the will of God than you are under your covers in your bed if you're out of the will of God. That's powerful. We need to know that. If God says go, we go. If God says stay, we stay. 
I'll tell you, if God tells you to go to a specific church and you're not going to that church, you are not in the will of God. You are not safe. God does, is not obligated to take care of you. And Psalm 91 is not active if you are not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High and abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And God has a big shadow. There's a lot of room for mistake, you guys. But you can get out of the shadow of the Almighty if you refuse to do what God is telling you to do. Then you're just a rebellious child, and God is not responsible for your actions. Here it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. What is a refuge? It's a place where you run to when you need safety. Do you run to food? Do you run to the internet? Do you run to WebMD? Do you run to your doctor? Do you run to your best friend? Or do you run to the scripture when you need safety? Do you run to him when you need safety? Do you pray before you complain? Listen, I, I repent of this. I've complained before praying before. Sometimes I'll run to Ryan. Hey, this isn't working. Hey, the trash needs to be taken out. I, you know, he takes out the trash so much more often when I just say, God, you're my refuge and my trash needs to be taken out. All of a sudden, I see my husband. Oh, I'm just taking out the trash. I'm like, well, hallelujah. That man hears from God. <laughs> it works. That's a little bit of a joke, but not exactly. But you know what I'm saying? Like, who do you run to when you're having troubles? Who is your refuge? What is your refuge? Is it drugs? Is your refuge drugs? There are a lot of people all over this world whose refuge is drugs because they can't handle the emotional pain that they're in, and so they go and they start shooting up. Or they go start taking, um, what's the newest thing? Marijuana. Yeah. And they, they're self-medicating, you know? And don't believe all the lies out there, okay? God doesn't want you high, period. End of story. He doesn't want your personality flatlined. He wants you off of all of that junk and living your best life. Amen? But who is your refuge? Do you get anxiety and run to a pill? Or do you get anxiety and pray in the Spirit? Who's your refuge? If you make God your refuge, Psalm 91 applies to you. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. Means when I'm inside God, nothing can touch me. Woohoo! Nothing can touch me. He's my fortress. In other words, if you want to get to me, you got to get through God first. You should not be having face-to-face -face conversations with Satan on a daily basis. You should be in the fortress. And you can say, if Satan wants to talk to me, he's got to get through God first. If Satan can get through God, I'll consider listening. I wouldn't, but still. He can't get through God, you guys. There's no way he can get through God. He's my fortress. He's my God. What does it mean for God to be your God? He's God, but is he your God? Is he your God? Do you worship him and exclusively him? Or do you worship your cell phone? Or do you worship a preacher 
or a teacher, or do you worship a ministry, or do you worship a doctrine? What are you putting before Christ? That's what you worship. You know, you could be, you could worship food. You could. You could put food before God. You could put, you know, your job. Many people end up worshiping their job. You can put your job before God. Well, I got to work. I got to pay the bills. And then you're not at church on Sunday. Who's your God? There are exceptions to the rule. There, there are some exceptions. People who are right before God. God put them in a position. God told them. But it's usually God works it out and they're off on Sundays and they end up in church. So you got to ask, who, who is your God? What's keeping you from being where God told you to be? That's your God. Cast it down and make God your God and be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. What's stopping you from loving your spouse? Come on. Your own feelings, your own anger, that's your God. God says love your spouse. What's stopping you from loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Your own hurt? You know, you can make your own hurt your God. You can do that. You can worship the abuse that somebody has given to you and done to you. And you can make that your God if you want to. But that doesn't obligate God to protect you or heal you. And you're not going to get healed. If that hurt is your God, you're worshiping that hurt. Well, I would do this, but... Well, I would forgive, but you don't understand what happened to me. I was raped. It was terrible. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And millions of other people all around the world, girls and guys alike, were also raped. And many of them are healed. And why aren't you? Because you're worshiping it and you're nursing it. Stop worshiping it. Stop. Well, I got church hurt. Are you worshiping God or are you worshiping your church hurt? I know this is hard and I'm sorry, but I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. But you don't understand what the past, you don't understand what they did to me. I don't need to understand. You don't understand what Christ has done for you. Christ has completely forgiven you and remade you and made you healthy and whole and strong. If you are using church hurt as a reason not to be in the scriptures, not to pray in the spirit, not to be communing with God or not to be in his church, you are making that your God and not God. God has to be your God for Psalm 91 to work. He is my God. In him I will trust. In him will I trust. I will trust in God. I am determined that no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what happens, I will trust in him and him alone. I'm not going to trust in armies. I'm not going to trust in chariots. I'm not going to trust in horses. I'm not going to trust in weapons or guns. And I'm not saying not to carry. I'm not against guns and I'm not against carrying guns. If you want to carry a gun, carry a gun. Just don't use it on me or God will take care of you. <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not saying don't carry. Carry. This is a dangerous world. Be smart. Be prepared. But... You know, even if you do carry a gun, how many of you know that that gun can miss fire? It can do things. It can malfunction in, in ways we don't even understand. It can malfunction. It could hurt you. It could hurt those around you. Or you can trust in God, commit your gun to him, carry it. He'll keep it. He'll keep it. 
And you'll know of a surety because you're not trusting in the gun, you're trusting in God that if you ever do need to use that gun, it's going to work and it's going to work accurately and it's going to work the first time. And you're not going to have to shoot twice. <laughs> Amen? I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into using a gun and trying to protect yourself, but are you trusting in God or are you trusting in the gun? I'm not saying don't carry a gun. I am for guns. I don't, I don't know if I can say that on the internet, but I don't care. I, I believe that every citizen of, the, of America that can be responsible and will take the training should have and carry some sort of a way to protect themselves. I fully believe that. But we don't trust in those things. We trust in the living God. Does that make sense? It's okay if you don't want to, if you don't believe in it, that's okay too. Or if you don't feel ready, that's okay too. You know, you don't, it's, I believe it's a personal choice. And if you want to choose not to carry and you don't want guns, and that's okay too. Just trust in God. Don't trust in the government's ability to protect you. Are you looking for the next handout for the from the government? Then the government is your God. Are you waiting for food stamps to post and not doing what God told you to do? Then the government is your God. Then you've taken Jehovah Jireh and worship the government instead. Now, it's not wrong to get food stamps. It's not wrong to get help. Not wrong at all. There's a time when I needed them, and when I needed them, I thanked God for them. Right? We thank God for our provision. We get our provision, but we thank God for that provision. When somebody blesses me, I thank God for that provision. I don't immediately turn my eyes off of God and start looking to that person and say, well, you gave me money once, so you can give me money again. That's not, how, that's not Jehovah Jireh. You just have to say, thank you, God bless you. I pray that God multiplies you and just keep your eyes on God. Amen. Too many people are looking to different sources down here to provide for him, for them. And they're not looking to Jehovah Jireh. I'm not saying don't invest your money. I'm a firm believer in investing your money. Invest your money and make millions and you can have billions. It doesn't bother me a bit. In fact, if you're trusting God, just pay your tithe, right? If you're trusting God for money, God is going to bless you. But if you're trusting in your investments, even though it's the wise thing to do, you're not trusting in God. Commit it to God. He's able to keep it. You know, I know people, and my, even myself, I made more money when things started crashing than a lot of other people. You know, God told me to invest in GameStop. It was before it shot up. So I invested in GameStop. I thought, well, is that? God says, you know my voice. I said, fine, I'll invest. It's kind of fun, right? And then I saw that thing go from $15 a share to over $200 a share. And I was like, shall we sell some, God? <laughs> Same thing with AMC. God's like, go AMC. And I was like, you sure? And he's like, yeah. And then boom, it went up and we were able to pay bills and we were able to have some money on the side. It was wonderful. Praise God. But I don't just go and invest in things that God doesn't tell me to invest in. Like I wait for God's voice. And no matter, I didn't, I didn't know. I had no clue it was going to do what it did. It wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't watching the stocks. I wasn't doing nothing. And God just said, I need you to do this. And I was like, yes, sir. Boom. God, Jehovah Jireh, will provide for us if we will trust in him and not in our knowledge. 
Does that make sense? He'll lead us. He'll guide us. If you have an investment account and you haven't prayed over your stocks, you need to pray over your stocks. You need to commit those to the Lord because he is able to keep that which we commit to him. If you haven't committed your money to him, you need to commit your money to him. Amen? It's going to help. Okay, so then his part. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers. And here's our part. Under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. His part. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night. Our part is our part is that we shouldn't be afraid. Do you see how God is like throwing the ball back and forth to us? His part, our part, his part, our part, back and forth, back and forth. And we always want to do our part as fast as we can. Because the faster we can do our part, the faster we're throwing that ball back to God and putting all the responsibility on him. I love putting the responsibility on God. Because when he has the responsibility, there's peace. And we always win. And we always have the victory. And we always come out looking good and smelling good and sounding good, right? But if the responsibility is on us, well, you get what you get. But if the responsibility is on him, I will not be afraid. What will I not be afraid of? In this, in this chapter, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. So you're not allowed to be afraid at night, and you're not allowed to be afraid during the day. That's my part. Nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. That's my part. I'm not allowed to be afraid. And then a thousand shall fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Only with my eyes will I behold and see the reward of the wicked, because I have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, my habitation. Have you made the Lord your refuge? Have you made him your habitation? Do you live in him? Do you dwell in him? Do you walk around knowing that you are in God, that you are in the throne room? You know, people visit the throne room, but I live in the throne room. People visit, you know, they come in and then they say, oh, the music is right and the lights are right and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out of my seat and I'm going to step into the throne room and I'm worshiping God and it's an amazing experience. And I used to do that a lot too until I realized, why should I ever leave? Why should I ever leave the throne room? There's nothing in the word that says leave the throne room. So I'm just going to live my life here in the throne room. And when I first started getting that revelation, I was like, I don't know if this is allowed. I've never heard it taught, preached, or anything. But as far as I can see in the scriptures, I can eat in the throne room. I can sleep in the throne room. I can parent my kids in the throne room. I can preach in the throne room. There's no reason I have to leave this throne room. Why leave it? Why ever get out of it? I can drive in the throne room. It is the best place to try. <laughs> because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. 
For God shall give his, charge, his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. I commit myself to him. I live in the throne room. His angels have charge over me, and they will keep me in all of my ways. What if I make a mistake? That's still part of my way. It's kept. God is able to keep that which I commit to him. See how this goes? Really, let's just reason together. The angels shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. You shall tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon. You shall trample under your feet, because you have set your love upon the Lord. What's your part? Here goes the balls right back in our court now. Now I have to set my love upon the Lord. Doesn't Colossians say, set your affections on things above? If then you have been risen with Christ, set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Where are your affections? <clears throat> Therefore will I deliver him. If you're looking for deliverance and you're not delivered, you have not set your affections on things above. Your affections might be on yourself. You know, you can be in ministry and still have your affections on yourself. And if you're jealous of anybody at all, your affections are on yourself. Your affections are on yourself. Well, I, I'm jealous, I'm mad, why do they get it and I don't? Your affections are on yourself. You love yourself, you're not setting your love upon God. When you set your love upon God and somebody gets promoted over you in the kingdom, you rejoice. Why? Because the kingdom is expanding. Because the kingdom is expanding. Praise God when one gets promoted over you. Praise God. They're going to do the hard work. They're going to pave the way. And you're going to be able to follow right behind and see what's available and watch and see if they fail or they fall. Don't rejoice. Get in there and help them. Because if they fail or they fall and you get in and help them, guess what you're doing? You're sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds. When I used to volunteer at a church all the time, I was sowing seeds. I didn't know it. I didn't know I was going to be in ministry. I was just building the kingdom of God. And now I look back on that, and I am like, God, I sowed a lot of seeds. And God's like, you did. You got a giant harvest coming. Watch out. You know, just get in there and sow seeds and be right and have a right attitude and a right heart and yeah, because I set out his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Not just known my name like I know your name is Joyce, right? Not like that. But to know in the Bible is a very intimate term. Like Adam knew his wife and they conceived a child. Do you know God's name on such an intimate level? And which name do you know? Do you know Jehovah Shalom? You are going to have peace that passes understanding. Do you know Jehovah Jireh? You will always be provided for. Do you know Jehovah Rapha? You will always have healing. Do you know his name? Do you know El Shaddai, the almighty, all-sufficient one? Do you know El Roy, the one who sees you? Do you know, do you know El Olam? Do you know Elohim? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Emmanuel? God is with us. Do you know Jehovah Nisi that his banner over me is love and victory? Do you know him? Do you know Jehovah Makedes? He is my righteousness. Do you know it so intimately that nothing can sway you from that? 
the more you know him, the more you're going to receive this. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. You're not going to be set on high until you know his name. And you're not going to know his name without getting humble. God gives more grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. Here's the ball going to your court. He shall call upon me, and then the, you pass the ball to God when you call his name, and God says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Check this out, you guys. In verse 15 and 16, the ball is in your court. He shall call upon me. And then you call upon God and you throw the ball to God. And when the ball is in God's court, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. It would be like you passing a ball back and forth with a globetrotter. Do you guys know who the globetrotters are? They pass you the ball and you maybe do like two bounces and then... You pass it back the best that you can with your basketball stance and really step into it. And then they catch the ball and then they spin it and they dribble it and they do this with it and they do all those things and then they pass it back to you. Your part is so tiny. Our part is so simple. Our part is so small that a two-year-old can do it. A little chubby two-year-old, Jesus, Jesus. And then God takes over and says, I will deliver him. I will honor him. I will, I will do all of these things for him. With long, I will honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? And all you had to do was call on him. Make sure that when the ball is in your court, you're doing your part. And I guess I can, can come back to this, what we read about the blood mingled with the sacrifices we don't know what happened there. We don't know if they were committed to God or not. We know that they were going to give a sacrifice. That's what we know. But we also know that if we are trying to do things without being committed to God, he has no responsibility to keep us. We need to make sure that we are committed to God, that we commit our time to him, that we commit our body to him, that we commit our, our learning to him, that we commit our prayers to him, that we commit our children to him, that we commit our houses to him, our money. Whatever you can commit to God, you commit to him and he will keep it. Commit your job to him, which I know you have. And he has kept your job through so many things. How many years? 35 years. Through ridiculous things. And he's always made her come out on top. She'll always win. She'll always have the victory. Only because of Jesus. But when the ball's in your court, you commit it to him. You pass it over to him. And we can all be shining examples of that if we'll commit our stuff to him. So I would say this week, I know you're already doing homework from Sunday and probably homework from the microphone training class, but add to it a little bit. Start committing things to him, amen?
Um, do you have time to pray over people today? Would that be okay, Linda and Christy? Okay, you come up here and pray over people. If you need prayer for anything, would you come up and receive prayer? Um, Loretta, do you have time to pray for people? Not today, okay. Marva, do you? Okay. One more person, do you have time to pray for people? Diane, do you have time? Okay. If, if these two are busy, then would you step in? Okay. Praise God. Well, I'm going to close in prayer then. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your guidance, your teaching, your training. Thank you that you always bring us life and life more abundantly. Thank you that your will is for all of us to be saved and healed and delivered and set free and prosperous and living the victorious life in Christ Jesus. For you have already done it. You have revealed it in your word. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I and hopefully everybody in here and in the sound of my voice, God, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our lives to you. We commit our destinies to you. We commit our children to you. We commit our finances to you. We commit our thoughts to you. We commit everything to you. The ball's in your court, God, and we thank you for that. Show us, lead us, guide us, direct us in what we should do, how we should be doers of the word more and more. And if there's any area where we need to come up in or tighten up and show us, correct us, God, train us, rebuke us, help us, because you love who you correct. And we may not love correction because it's certainly not present at the time, but we'll take it and we'll learn and we'll grow and we'll do and and we'll be more committed to you so you can keep us more. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.